and we are back. I am Eric, and this is the Fat Packs Podcast, and I'm coming to you live from the 2018 National Sports Collectors Convention here in Cleveland. We're going to start out with a bang today, uh, or a kick, if you will, if we're, we're going to talk a little bit of soccer, but first, I want to thank my sponsors for getting me out here. Uh, baseball Treasures, great collectible coins if you have not seen them yet. Top Notch Breaks, which is down the aisle today. Uh, great, great, great Facebook page. Go check them out at Top Notch Breaks. And, of course, Bell L Sports Cards, who uh, literally have a bar that you can open cards at at their location in uh, Bel Air, Maryland. So, all those guys, thank you very much for getting me out here. But joining me right now uh, is my new friend Chuck. He is the Deputy Director of the International Soccer Archive. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So, I guess the easy thing to start here is, what is the International Soccer Archive? Well, International Soccer Archives is a museum and library. It's a treasure trove of artifacts and information based on international soccer. Now, most people, even the common sports fan, knows that soccer is global. Sure. And you can you can take a ball and you can take two bags or two shoes and then go anywhere around the world and play. Right. And that's the simplicity of it. The fact of the matter is, is that there is such history of soccer in America that people don't know about. But America's a big country. Sure. And, and when you find visitors that come here, that's when you find out how big the country we live in is. Right. You know? And then that we have not one national sport, not two national sports, but we got at least four national sports because we're so diverse. Sure. Now, how did you get into soccer? Well, I grew up in a city uh, that had a professional soccer team. All right. And as I go around the world now and I tell people and I list the great players that played during the 70s and 80s in this country basically no other country I don't care what soccer country you're coming from they go that's unbelievable wow wow so I grew up with that I had minor league baseball I had minor league hockey loved them but I had the best players in the world literally if you took all the LeBron James the Wayne Gretzky's you know, the Mickey Mantles, we had them all playing at one time here in this country. What league was that? That was the North American Soccer League. Okay. And that was, was that outdoor or indoor soccer? It was outdoor. Okay. And, and when we talk about soccer, it's specifically outdoor. Okay. Indoor is, 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 a, is a form of soccer that's obviously uh, like badminton is to tennis. Okay. You're using rackets, yes, you're hitting over a net. But let's face it, around the world there's only one soccer. It's played on grass and it's played outside in rain and shine and snow, and it's the ultimate thing that everybody follows. So that's outdoor soccer. When, when did that league fold? That, was that league folded in 1984, okay. and it went through financial. But if you think about America in business, we had dot-coms, yep. we had Silicon Valley, we've got the crash of the stock market. This was a financial thing. It had nothing to do with the popularity of the game, it had nothing to do with the organization or the talent. It had to do with money money and, and money is look at let's face it in modern sports it's all about money now in some form or another doesn't mean we don't like the purity of a stick ball or, or right. the purity of a, a pickup basketball game but it's really we know that now this is a business and all you have to do is look around today nobody here is here for charity right you know, for the most part right it's a business it is a business. so there were decisions made where everybody wanted to be you know the new york yankees they wanted to buy the best players and it became so overloaded that financial things got out of hand. 
and, and it grew so fast. They expanded within a year. They doubled and tripled. And, you know, the, the, the whole idea of spending money and say, you know, we want to get in on this became very, very much keeping up with the Joneses. Okay. That kind of, kind of sounds like the USFL a little bit. Very much so. Yeah. Don't forget, you know, we've had this in the old WFL when they tried to sign NFL players like right. Mary You know, they took apart the Miami Dolphins in the 70s after two Super Bowl wins. Right. And, you know, they wanted to sign everybody. But this happened with the WHA, with the hockey. They tried to right. sign all the players. So it's nothing new. It was nothing new under the sun. And we were signing players from Europe. And these guys weren't even retired guys. They were guys who were one year, two years from winning the World Cup. Uh, we had They came over after being World Cup winners. There were guys who were players of the year in all of Europe that were coming over and signing for the New York Cosmos. Okay. So they weren't over the hill. These guys were at the top of their game. Of course. But it also had a point where you you know you wanted they wanted a name and and it's kind of like what you have uh where you can't get the top guys so you go okay i'll settle for the next guy or the next guy and you get lower on the scale and then you're getting guys you know you're pulling them out of the woodwork right so you get a mixed bag okay so let's talk let's tie this all into card, uh, soccer cards and collecting that's what we are we're a collectibles podcast in the last we were talking off air the last five years or so there's been kind of this subtle growth in soccer collecting here in America but it's been like that for years and years and years worldwide what are you seeing trends because Panini's doing a great job of what they do and Topps does a great job of what they do what are the trends you're seeing here in America that are all but but have been in place for years well first of all all you got to do is walk around look around any uh, theme park or a sports park or places like this and look at the kids who are under 15 years old or, mm-hmm. or, or, or in that age group, and they're wearing jerseys of these players around the world. Okay. It's like, well, you know, they, their grandmother didn't buy it. Exactly. They know who these players are. They know these guys as well as they know any of the guys in basketball and baseball. And the world's getting smaller because you got the internet and you've got ways of, of media just like this, and, and, and they are on top of it. And, and the thing is, if you had gone back 15 years and you had people were in the, in the collecting hobby and you said to them, you know what, nobody's gonna want to slab stuff, nobody's gonna want to grade stuff, nobody wants a price guide. Sure. Well, guess what? Where, right. those, where are those guys today, right? right? So we're talking about knowing the hobby, knowing the sports world, what's happening now is that the world is watching. Your country doesn't even have to qualify. Your team and your favorite players are there at the World Cup and, right. and everybody gets to see it. And then you have club teams from around the world that are known. And in small countries uh, like Scotland and England, when they produced these cigarette cards back in the day, the 1920s and 1930s, it was for a very small population. Right. But now you have wealth in Asia. You got Japan and China and emerging countries, and you've got Canada, the United States, and they, they're looking for, as collectors, something that they don't know about that gives them hungry. Right. You know, that's what we are as collectors. We want something to challenge us. Sure. You know, if we if we have every tops card of your favorite team in baseball, what do you do then? Right. You know, you you lie down and you're done. Right. So we're looking for different things as collectors, and now this thing has come along, and it's not like it's new. It's there. It's it's already built in. It's got an infrastructure, and they're going, wow, I want to find a Pelé card. Right. I want to find a Neymar card. I want to find a Messi card. And when they find it, then they go, okay, well, what else can I add to my collection now? Sure. So it, it's really about the hunt. It's about the hunt. And these card companies are now realizing, you know, 
we want to give uh, an option. We want to give a new flavor or something that people are hungry for. And there it is because the infrastructure is there for the television. You know, you right. can stand on any Saturday right now, you can go home and watch the English Premier League or the German Bundesliga or, or the Spanish La Liga and see all these stars. And then they go to this show and the next there, there's the card of that guy. Sure. There's the card of that guy. And it's autographed and there's a swatch in it. So it's, it's already something that we're used to here in all the rest of the American sports. But it's a great, great taste for hunger of people going, you know what, I want something different. I want something new. I want some challenging. Or, or the guy that tells me, and I hear this like twice a week, I love soccer, but I didn't really think they had any collectibles. Well, now sure. they do. Right. You know, and now they can pursue it and go, you know what, this is cool. I mean, you're, you're finally catering to me. I wanted, I wanted something. I wanted a nice card. Right. I wanted something nice collectible. And these industries are doing great with what they're going out with. I Just this morning I saw something that one of the companies put out was a mini trophy of a, of, of a Bundesliga, which is a German league, Super League. And you know, so they're, they're on top of it. They're not giving away just little posters and stuff. They're, they're going high-end right. on this stuff and you're looking at it and go, man, that's, that's beautiful. That's, that's really, uh, it's wild to think about how, you know, how it's translating so well. But it's, as a collector, it's fun to see. I like. I'm gonna be real honest with you. I don't. I don't know a lot about soccer, but it intrigues me. It's something new that I don't know about. And I want to learn about it, and to know that I can buy a pack of cards now and, and you know get a Pele autograph or uh, you know hopefully or a Messi or something like. Even I, you know honestly, my my first experience with it was uh, Gareth Bell. I pulled a, a super super low numbered uh, one of one of 15 uh, parallel of his of Don Russ and I was through the moon I knew nothing about him but I, I found out who he was it turns out he's like the third or fourth best player in the world super player super so player yeah I was so excited and stoked but collectors around the world know who that is already they've been collecting soccer cards soccer stickers speci specifically with Panini for so long they're so far ahead of the game I feel like in America we're, we're, we're behind the eight ball we're, we're trying to catch up is that fair to say? It is fair to say, but I gotta tell you, some of the, the, the most fervent fans and collectors that I've seen are in the United States. Okay. And and the, the, the thing that's happening now is, is like in Europe and South America, they used to say, oh, well, you know, it's going to America, so we'll, we'll sell it for five or 10 bucks. Sure. Well, then they started finding out that they, they would put it on eBay and it'd be going for 100 and 200 and 300. Like, oh, wait a minute, I, right. I should be selling to you for 100. Right. Now they're up to 400 and 500 and, and even 1,000. And, and if you're looking for a, one of, uh, of the few rare play rookies, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to be playing a couple cakes. Right. So, you know, it, it, it's the double-edged sword because when I was starting to buy I could go over to England and fill a suitcase of all these great players and that, wow, this is great. Right. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> Let's talk about those tobacco cards that you mentioned earlier. Um, I've seen them around. I, w I think they're cool because of their, their, their age, you know, their vintage. Is there any real value there to those? Uh, were, they, were they mass produced? Were they? Uh, there are many sets okay. that you can get for probably under $50 and get a complete set, okay. almost mint. Okay. They were produced well. Many of them were given albums that you could put them in. Okay. So they were well preserved. And they we're talking about British uh, tobacco carts. Right. But I'll give you the other side of that. There are ones that were done that were from smaller companies uh, and they were from rarer. For instance, there's an island just off of England 
uh, and I, I can't remember right away, but they produced uh, tobacco cards, okay. and they did cricket and soccer. Okay. And they had a couple players in there that are very famous, for their, and they were the best in the day. And to find them, A, is hard. You're like looking like a Hannes Wagner. You're, oh, wow. you're talking about, you know, imagine if, if in Hawaii they produced a Babe Ruth card. Sure. And, and then all of a sudden you're going, well, I've got all the Babe Ruth cards, Babe Ruth. But they made these ones over in the island, but they, they only made like 50 of them. Because there was only 100 right. people on the island. Exactly. Well, this is the case there. So the chase for those, if you can find them, anything from that set is, is it. And then we, we always talk about rarity. We talk about age. We talk about all those kind of things. So you have that. Then you have places like Germany who have been producing soccer cards since the 1920s as well. They were also the first country to have multinational countries and players in their sets. Okay. So everybody would like English, you'd have like English players. Scotland would be Scotland players. They were the first ones to have players from different World Cups like Uruguay, and they had guys from uh, Austria, and they had guys from England, and they were the first ones to do that. Okay. But think about it, they also went through two World Wars. Right. And in that time, you had paper drives, you had bombings, you had fires. Right, and right. So even if they started out with, let's say, they, 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 they made 5,000 of these sets, how many of those do you think are exactly. left? Exactly, it's very rare. And so now the chase on those with the history of that, right? And you've got boxers in those sets, you've got athletes in those sets, you even got Babe Ruth in those sets, right? Which, which, for a while, people are like, "Don't say anything," because I'm getting these from Germany, ah. and there's a Babe Ruth in the set, and I'm getting them for five bucks a piece. Well, that quickly got it. You know, guess what I got? Guess what I got? Right. Now, good, good luck because you're going to be paying probably a hundred, two hundred, maybe even three hundred dollars for one of those Babe Ruths. Wow. It, it all comes together, right? It does, it and, and that's together. the beauty of, of you know having a convention like this because people have these conversations. They find out about it and go, you know what? I just want to check out one. Sure. Just check out one, and you know what happens as collectors when you check out one? It's right. like a potato chip. Right. You're on to the next one, and you go, you know, this is cool. I like this, and and whatever it is, whatever you're into, that's the beauty of it. Let's talk about Christian Plastic for just a moment. We'll, we'll wrap this up, but. He's the next big American star on, on our radio in our on our radar. If is he gonna help American soccer be be solidified on the map? I mean, I know it's there. Clint Dipsy, Alexi Lawless, those names are there. And the women's team, the, the US national women's team, even more so. But is Polisic the kind of guy that can hopefully bring American collectors? Well, here, here's, the forefront. here's the thing I'm going to say about Christian and, and, and caveat emptor, because we've all bought guys in baseball and football who are going to be the next great thing, right? Right, right. It's speculation. Let's face it. It's the stock market exactly. when it comes to cards and collecting. And we've had this, uh, I, I hate to say it, but it's a sad story about Freddie Adu. Everybody thought he was going to be the next Pelé. Right. And guess what happened? It didn't right. work out. So, right. you know, it happens. But here's the difference. This is a kid that didn't start out here. He was born in the United States. You know, learn to play his game here. At early age, he goes over to Europe, and he puts his nose to the grindstone. Okay. This is not a guy who they're just throwing money at, and he's like, you know what? I, this is a kid that feels like he's got the weight on his shoulders, but you know what? He's got broad shoulders. In my opinion, having seen a lot of young prospects, not just Americans, but I mean around the world, I think the kid's got it. Okay. Like he's got it. But here's the thing. It's a team sport. Right. It's not Tiger Woods. It's not Serena Williams. He's got to have 10 other guys on the field pulling the, pulling the rope with him. Sure. We got them. 
We just got to find him. You got to find a coach right now. You know, the United States is in flux. We missed a huge, great World Cup. Right. And, and I, I don't know what to tell you. It, it, it's not even like missing the World Series because you got another year. You know, or missing the Stanley Cup, you get next year. Right. You got four years. You gotta, you gotta get stuff together. Right. And in four years, and in that time is nothing. Takes. You gotta develop your players. You gotta get your core together, and, and you gotta have solid players placed on good teams or playing, and they gotta be healthy. Let's face it. Sure. You know, that's the thing. They travel halfway around the world. You gotta make sure they're healthy to come together. But we got some good players, and and, and what I see. In the years, what I used to see, maybe I see a high school or college player that had some talent. Now I'm seeing kids that are 14 and 15 years old doing stuff because they watch YouTube and they sure, watch these, sure. and they're fantastic. So my heart is beating like crazy and going, you know, one of these days I'm going to be watching. And they keep saying, well, maybe we're going to win a World I don't think we're going to World Cup, but I know we're going to show the world that we got talent here. Awesome. And Christian is that kind of player. You know, we haven't had that kind of exciting player that when they look at Neymar or they look at Messi or they look at Christian Ronaldo and they're like, man, it's worth the ticket. You know, when you went to watch uh, Wayne Gretzky or you want to watch Jordan, you know, and some of these guys, when you got your ticket and you kept that ticket, you go, you know what? I saw a legend play. You knew it at then before right. he retired. And this is a kid, he's still learning. He's still not a regular starter. But he's only 19. Right. And we got to keep it in mind, he's also playing for one of the richest clubs in Germany. So those guys, you know, the, standing in front of him are guys with contracts, a million dollar contract. You're not going to set that guy very easy. Right, right, right. So I think there's a lot of potential there, but he's only one of many. And I'm glad that they're marketing him because the profile's there, but I think there's a lot more guys that you can market. Because if you're only marketing on one guy, that's a lot of weight for the. Right. I think they. I think these companies would be really smart to start looking for prospects, start signing those guys too, because that way the shoulder weight is around, and one of those guys is going to make it. You sure, know it is. Sure. I mean, he's already kind of made it. They're already talking about million-dollar transfers for, for him to either go Liverpool or Tottenham Hotspur, which would be great because you know English-speaking uh, uh, Premier League. But as it as stands right now, there's a lot of young guys like him in Europe. They're learning their bones. They're learning the trade. And when these guys start coming back for the U.S. national team, you got guys that are really, really talented, really educated. They're not over here kind of doing college. Uh, you know, college works for NFL. It works for basketball because it's a great feeding system. Unfortunately, between 18 and 22, you need to be playing pro ball for that game. Sure. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Chuck. I really appreciate you stopping by. Um, this was a history lesson of sorts for my, for me, and a little bit of new history too. So, well, let's um, just let me, you know, you know, um, I'm here with one of the guys who is actually a sponsor with Beckett. Okay. So, if they got to look at the back cover, they'll, they'll know that memorabilia experts yeah. are, are the guys that brought me in, and they're already got jerseys from uh, Pele, Maradona, and, and uh, Ronaldo all at their booths. So, if they, people want you want to check it out, they're curious, or, or if they're fans, they want to get pictures with them. Come on by. I'm just going to give a shout out to them. Awesome. Thank you very much for being here, buddy. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. This is Hotshot Danny Duggan, the team of Jack and Fanny Pack. You are listening to the Bat Pack Podcast. Man, we are wiped out, pooped almost. Uh, it's, and it's early in the morning here at the National. I'm moving along to interview number two. This is my friend Kevin. You've seen his work in Panini, USA Today, and the College Football National Championship. He is a great photographer, and I wanted to bring him on to kind of get a feel for what goes on 
behind the scenes when, 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 when taking photographs and getting cards put together. Kevin, how are you doing? Doing great, Eric. I it's, really appreciate your time, man. Uh, you got it, man. It's, it's crazy here, huh? So, you come up to the show, do you come every year? Nah, I've missed the last couple years. I've been so busy in my shooting schedule, you know, photographing events all around. Um, I actually had the weekend off, so I thought I'd come up real quick and kind of check everything out and meet a lot of friends and, and catch up on stuff. That's what, you know what, that's what everybody's doing here. We're all just meeting friends and catching up on stuff. But you've been out walking the floor this morning. What, what, do you, what, do you, what have you seen so far that you're like, oh, that's cool. We were just talking about that Baker Mayfield piece over there, but have you seen something that's jumped out to you? Yeah, actually, yesterday I picked up a, um, since I'm in charge of a national championship photography, there was a, a dealer that had a ticket, a na an authentic national championship ticket with Deshaun Watson um, signed ticket and authenticated by Beckett. And nice. it was really cool. Um, so I'm going to add it to my, I'm going to put a big photo that I made of Deshaun celebrating and, and frame it on a wall with that ticket. I think it's pretty awesome. Personally. Yeah, personally. We, now, I've seen you at a lot of uh, different Panini events helping out with photography there. Let's talk about that aspect of it. I know that you were just on Vince's podcast, uh, the Sports Card Podcast. Thank, shout out to Vince. He's a great guy. But So I'm going to try to not cover some of the same things that he did. But how did you get into that gig, first of all? How did you start taking photography for, for cards? Um, actually, uh, Panini hired me about a couple years ago to um, be one of the photo editors. And what we do in that role is we're actually picking out photos that meet our designs, that fit our designs, that look good on cards. Um, whether it be you know an isolated action photo, one from a rookie photo shoot that we do, or a dramatic action. It all depends on the design, and um, I'm one of the people that, that kind of does that. So, uh, let me, let's go back further then. How long have you been into photography? Like, is this something that you started in high school, or, or, or did you just pick it up someday? No, it's pretty funny. I actually went to the U University of Oklahoma, and boomer. I, yeah, boomer. <laughs> um, and so I actually um, got into photography there, and actually I used to like to photograph pretty girls. <laughs> pretty girls in sports was pretty much why I got into photography. <laughs> nice. And, and, and the sports thing kind of stuck, so I um, I started shooting sports professionally probably about 2009, 2010-ish. Um, and I just, um, you know, I'd photograph Rick, people um, playing in the park, uh, high school games, things like that, just to build a portfolio. And then I started submitting my portfolio out after I thought I, you know, got some decent stuff. And then I landed some some um, work with USA Today. And then I landed a contract for the college football playoff. And then Panini hired me a couple years after that. So let's talk about submitting a portfolio. This is for the young photographers out there. How do you go about putting together a, a portfolio, and how do you submit something like that? Yeah, what I tell young photographers is shoot anything you possibly can. Uh, everyone wants to be in the NFL or shoot NFL games, NBA games, Major League Baseball games. You don't have to do that. Um, you just have to photograph good action and tell a good story. And it, that's at every level. In fact, the junior high levels, the high school levels, the guys playing in the park in a recreation league have some of the best emotions, a lot better than a lot of these pro athletes. And if you can tell a story and get great action photos and know what you're doing, um, any good editor that you submit a portfolio to or your work to, whether it be a magazine, a newspaper, a website, they'll know how to tell a good photographer from a bad photographer. So I need more than just my point and click, right? I need, I need a good, a good camera, a good lens, and stuff like that. Yeah, it helps to have a decent lens. You got, you know, about 10 to 12 frames per second where you can shoot, you know, high action sports. Uh, and then, yeah, you got to know how to compose images uh, with, with nice, clean backgrounds that are not busy with 
things growing out of people's heads and things like that in the background, like light poles and things like that. So, <laughs> so that definitely helps. What, is there a big learning curve then? I mean, it sounds like there might be, but the best way to do it is just to go do it. Yeah, the best way is to just to trial and error. I mean, when I started out, I didn't, I'm self-taught. I just took photos all the time. I've tried to figure out what works and what doesn't work. Uh, and there's a lot that doesn't work, trust me. Uh, sports is hard. <laughs> People think it's easy. It's very hard. While everyone's celebrating a great moment, I'm in there trying to capture the story, tell the story. I don't have time to celebrate with all the fans. Sure. Um, well, so when you're at, like, rookie photo shoots and, and stuff like that, and you're, and you're seeing these guys maybe for the first time, are you coaching them along like, hey, you got to do this, you need to do that? Or are there some athletes that are just naturals at it? Yeah, a little bit of both. Uh, when I first meet an athlete, if I know I'm going to photograph several like the NFL rookies, I want to learn about them before. So I kind of study up on them to see what we might have in common. Okay. And when I first meet them, I want to build a trust trust with them. So I'll kind of like talk about something we have in common. You know, uh, with Baker Mayfield, for example, well, I covered him all, all my his college career at Oklahoma. I'm a Sooner grad. I cover Oklahoma games for USA Today. So we talked about that. I, in fact, I made him some prints to give his family. We're close that way. And, and so that was really cool. And so we, we had a bond. If it was a guy like I never met before, Calvin Ridley I never met before, but I did photograph the Sugar Bowl game. So I showed him a photo that I took of him scoring a touchdown in the Sugar Bowl game. And he's like, oh man, that's the coolest thing. I've never seen that one. And so we kind of bonded that way. And when you have something to bond about, then they're more likely to work with you. Right. Guys, excuse the noise in the background. Tops is doing something. I don't, I don't know quite what it is, but it sounds like it's uh, pretty important. So, uh, if we're getting drowned out, I think we're okay. But if we're getting drowned out, that's what that is in the background. Just so, just know somebody is winning something awesome. Speaking of awesome, you're working college football games across the country. Or what? What? What are some of the more awesome shots? In quotes that you've taken, like, what are some moments that you captured that you're like, wow, that, that like that's that's really cool. Oh gosh, there's been so many. Awesome. I mean, I'm, honestly, just because um, the national championship games, like I said, I'm in charge of that. So we've had so many great games. I think there's been four of them so far. Every game has been close. Right. Um, two. Year, I remember the Deshaun Watson touchdown at the last second was amazing. And last year's touchdown in overtime was amazing. And just things like that. There's a lot of moments. There's too much to name. Um, people can probably see the work on Instagram and on my website, though, probably the easiest way to um, see all the different um, photos we've taken. Where, where can they find that? Where can my, can my listeners find that at? Yeah, my website's www.kjimages.com, and I'm at Kevin Giraj, that's K-E-V-I-N-J-A-I-R-A-J, on both Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. Kevin, I'm going to wrap this up just because somebody's having a conniption over there, but I really appreciate you stopping by, man. This is great stuff. Again, uh, if you didn't catch him on... Uh, that sports card podcast hopefully you caught him here and you can go check out his work and uh tell me you did a good job to tell me the fat packs you. thanks kevin thanks really appreciate it all right buddy hi this is adam popple from popple sports and you're listening to the fat pack all right guys we're back after another quick break Tops is done yelling, so we can actually have a conversation now. I have Greg from Red Felt Breaks and Sharon from Black Jaded Wolf. They uh, were, Black Jaded Wolf was our sponsor at the Beckett B-Dubs night. We got them over here. They have a very, very interesting concept about collecting daily fantasy sports, fantasy sports in general. And I wanted to bring them on so we could talk about that and just talk about collecting and, and fantasy sports combined together because I think there is a marriage there that can be made. Greg, introduce yourself. Tell us a little who you are and what you do. 
Hi, my name is Greg. Excuse me, Greg Bynan. I'm at Redfeld Breaks. I, uh, we work for the. I work for the Fantasy Sports Network. We are the largest independent fantasy sports company. We have our own app, our own programming, and uh, Sharon and I host our Redfeld Breaks show on our network. Okay, and Sharon. Hi, my name is Sharon Chong from Black Jaded Wolf. Uh, I've been in the industry for 12 years. Deals with a uh, high-end, modern, uh, in three all, all four sports. So we're here to basically join together to a fantasy and sports card world, basically. Yeah, so we've made the correlation that as cards have gotten exponentially more expensive and more collectible in the last 10 years, that if you're collecting, especially with baseball, for instance, if you're collecting baseball and football, you are a fantasy player. For a dynasty league, the Bowman is the best tool because if a rookie is hot, if a, a first card is hot and you never heard of the guy and he's in single A, yep. someone to keep out for your dynasty leagues. With football, the market ebbs and flows based on the week, last weekend's performance and whatnot. And let's be honest, if you're paying attention to the performance for cards, you're going to be paying attention to be playing fantasy. Yep. That's 100% true. Yep. We were just talking off air a little bit about how I was saying that I think that you could make a weekly hot list on top performers on a week-to-week -week basis. And what you were just saying, if you're, if you're watching those performers, you're usually collecting those guys in the first yep. place anyways. I actually um, sort my cards and get it ready but before the week. And if I know they're about to get hot and have a good game this Sunday, I'm about to live them in my store. So <laughs> that's, that's good, you're, you're, you're sorting like that. So are you paying attention to uh, you know all the ins and outs that you need to know about fantasy oh, and sorting that way? Yep. Okay, mm -hmm. so you're saying you, you think they're about to get hot. So say if look at their matchup this weekend. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Zeke's playing, you know, a bad running team. Well, Zeke's yep. always going to be hot. Right, exactly. Or Melvin <laughs> yeah, Gordon last year. Like yeah. Week, Melvin yeah, Gordon. Yeah. yeah. So yep. you know he came out. He kind of came out of nowhere. He had he had a, what 15 touchdowns last season. Yep. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And you know, that was kind of unexpected. But as the year progressed. And he's playing against these weak run defenses. Now yep. you got now you got to get get him live and sell him, right? So exactly. how do you guys marry that together? You guys have a, a show that you do on Wednesdays. Well, yeah, our show is on Wednesdays where we're actually we break product. Okay. Most, previews. And it's we've been doing previews and personal breaks for the show so far. We have not ventured into the group break for right, but we're we're going to be doing it from time to time. That's not going to be our bread and butter. So we're basically doing it as a complement to our the rest of the programming on the platform okay. to keep our viewers from one show to the other and to bring our card viewers into the fantasy platform because we offer an array of services yep. for those people that are fantasy addicts, collector, geeks, sure. like most of us card people are. Uh, go ahead. So we're doing like an inaugural break actually, right. uh, 2017 National Treasure Football. So. Everybody that buys the spot gets um... It's a 2018 Roto Experts, one of the industry leaders, Scott Engel. Their exclusive edge, season-long package, a $40 value. So this way, everyone's guaranteed something. It will right. give you draft guides, season-long analysis, chat rooms, the whole nine yards. So we're really, you know, we're bringing something to the table that is, you know, useful beyond. And if you pay attention and follow their stuff, you could actually make money on Daily Fantasy too from it. Sure. It's a that, good uh, marriage for both worlds. Season, you know? Especially your season-long leagues. Right. Those are uh, difficult to navigate sometimes. Yep. Without that help from Roto World, you know, it, it can be Roto, a real Roto challenge. Experts. Well, I'm sorry, Roto Experts. And, and we have Daily Roto, which is our DFS site, which 
we're not offering anything in because yeah. the season long is more valuable right, right. to get in the door. Not every not everyone's a daily player, but I would say most fantasy most card collectors are season long especially. Right, right. Because it's a little easier and less time consuming. Exactly. Because exactly. as we know what we know about daily fantasy, it's finding the the anomalies, the mispriced guys and the guys that are not gonna be the highest usage guys because if you know, you're not going to win if you have high usage guys in every position because everyone else is going to have them. So you need to find one or two, or even three of those guys that you build your team around, and that's one of the services we provide. So, when so when on my listeners go, where, where do they need to go to your website to see that? You go to uh, blackjadedwolf.com okay. for the cards. Okay, for the cards, and, and also the, for the spots right now. For the okay, spots, spots for the break, and then you go to www.rotoexperts.com or www w.dailyroto.com okay. for the fantasy, fantasy yeah. products. But, you know, like like Sharon said, this break is going to be fun. We're going to do it from live on our studio, from our studio in New York City. We may, we're, we're working on trying to tie something fun into it. We can't make any announcements yet because, you know, we want to save it for that day. But it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're also offering the ability, if anyone who buys in or wants to sell their cards back, Sharon will be purchasing on the show or okay. after the show I should say we're not going to have call in but <laughs> right. you get a so it's going to be a lot of fun Sharon to you specifically how long you said how long have you been like involved with the hobby collecting yourself and then oh, when when did it turn into I'm a, a teenager so that's like I don't want to give out my age but like 20 years. Okay. Uh, I go, I'm longer. How, how long are you? I, I started working in the business okay. in, uh, 29 years ago. 29 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Right wow. after eighth grade, I started working in the baseball <laughs> card store. In high school, I probably spent more time in the, with the owner of the store than any of my friends because I would go after school. It was right down the block. Sure. We did autograph shows. This was long before. This is back when you could get a Joe DiMaggio. We did a show with Joe DiMaggio in the city. It was $40 for an autograph, limited of two. And you had to have everyone look. You had to approve what Joe DiMaggio would sign. That's how how far wow. back I go. Wow. You could, if you put a Marilyn Monroe picture, the guy would rip, Joe would rip it up and he would leave and everyone else would be SOL. Are you serious? Oh, 100%. Yep. Wow. It was so many, it was the first guy with those, and they didn't charge extra for bats. <laughs> $5 extra for a bat back then. Wow. I know. Wow, that's crazy. So, so what, how, how, you said about 20 years. When did it become a business for you? Um, 10 years ago. 10 years ago? And you're doing with high-end stuff, so uh, what do you like? What are the products you're looking for that you're buying and selling? My favorite in tops is Dynasty. Okay. And then in Panini, obviously, National Treasures, Flawless, all the rookie stuff. Because I run my business like an investment firm. Okay. I help like, my clients also like invest before it gets hot. Okay, mm-hmm. that helps. And it, again, and there's that. For fantasy. Yeah, there's that fantasy mm-hmm. tie-in right there. You're you're looking, you're looking at you know, mm-hmm. weekly sports fantasy yep. tie-ins and. If you could buy trout three years when they were thirty dollars, now six thousand. Right. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> exactly. I, I, I think I sold my twenty eleven finest trout base for three hundred dollars. <laughs> wow. And That's I got a Freddie Freeman in the same pack. Did you? Auto. Yeah. Nice. Second best pack I ever got. Second best pack was in nineteen eighty nine upper deck two Ken Griffey Jr. rookies in the same pack. In the same pack? Yeah. Not you as valuable, back, but that's, that's that's just nostalgic from childhood. Yep. Two Griffey you you know, you weren't guaranteed a Griffey in a box, but to right. get two in the same pack. That's nuts. Man, I don't think I've ever had that. I would go I had it with I had it with Diamond Icon. Diamond <laughs> Ice. Not the not the product you want to get two of the same in the pack. I remember selling my Mike Trout orange for $1,200 now they're like 30000 right mm-hmm. 
That's ridiculous. What do you think about this whole Vegas Dave thing? Are you following that? I mean, uh, we're actually, he follows, we follow each other in the Instagram, so okay. we spoke a couple of times. All right. Because I deal with the high end, so uh, we haven't really done business, but it seems like, you know. Do you think that card was overpriced? Or do you think it's... He, uh, he pays overpriced. So. He pays, yeah. What's, what's I think the, the card is at 200 grand, but you know, right? But he could dictate whatever he wants to one on one, sure, of course. What's the collecting market like? What's the collecting market like in New York? Like, is are there abundant hobby shops or is it is it just singles? No. Or what, I mean, what's it like? The, the, the hobby shop market in, in, in the we, we live in the New York City, right? I'm right. in Manhattan, Sharon's in Brooklyn, right? The number of stores. Yep. are very small. I remember growing up, there was a store in almost every town. Okay. And I grew up on Long Island. So, there, you know, I can name maybe four or five stores in the area. There's three in Manhattan. That's There's only one I know of in Brooklyn. One in Queens, I think. I don't know one even in Queens. They used to be. <laughs> There's a couple in Long Island. Mm -hmm. but That's it. That, yeah, yep. so. It's not like it used to be. But it's not like some of the biggest uh, rippers that I know around the country is from New York City. But area. Okay. what I will say is the business has gone online. Right. Yep. So right. the brick and mortar, you know, you need to like one of our dear friends, Jimmy from Monacy Comics. He's got comics and gaming to offset the rent that sure, he needs. Sure. Sure. And, the, and some of these other guys have been in their stores for so long, they probably have great leases. Right. And if, I mean, I'm just talking because Manhattan, you know, the guy downtown, Chameleon, also is a comic book store, too. Right. So comic books are something you have to come in yep. and look at. Right, right. So that, that's how they're, in my opinion, able to survive Manhattan rents today. Right. So is it, you say great leases, or are those like rent controlled things that they've been there so long that. Yep. Yeah. Okay, all right. You have to. I yeah. mean, I looked into it a few years ago. It was like $8,000 for. Store oh, wow. a month for wow. a closet. <laughs> yep. Wow, that's insane. I don't know what I have. Well, you to have sell no idea how expensive <laughs> and what Manhattan can be in, in commercial mm -hmm. real estate. Yep. You know, and one of them is in the financial district, where there's a ton of people that work. Yep. And the other one, there's one on the Upper East Side where there's a lot of families, and the one and Jimmy's on Fifth Avenue, right in Midtown. So they're in very dense populations to get the extra foot traffic. Of course. All right, let's talk about your show on Wednesday nights. Mm -hmm. You do it live. We do it live from Studio 34 at Versa in the Renaissance Hotel in Man Manhattan. It's the Fantasy Sports Network's official studio. Okay. So you're doing it live there. Is it a live feed like on Twitch or Facebook or Twitch, what? YouTube. I don't know if we go on Periscope, but um, YouTube Live we are, uh, on our app. Okay. Uh, on the web, you know, on the page. And all the older archives video are all, all in yeah, my and site too, Black Exactly, Black and, then, and as a network, um, we're free, we have time on the Dish Network and DirecTV that on the Pursuit channel we're, so we're going to be figuring out what to put on there, and so we're so, hoping to get there. How do I get a job with you? Uh, <laughs> that's the next question. <laughs> that's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a concept that I think collectors will embrace because we're all fantasy players I, yeah. yep. I guarantee you that we're all fantasy players especially if you're listening to this show you have to uh, yeah you, you have to so we start we we um, there were times when we were on uh, fantasy sports today in the beginning of baseball season to tie in you know as baseball season was starting and opening up some new cards you know we were talking about as the guys out of the pack their fantasy value too which is something mm -hmm. awesome. you know we do that with a preview type thing right right you know and it's good because anything before the season you know we can get one of our experts to come on our show not just you know we've had jeremy folden the top brand 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 
the Topps brand, the brand manager, right, right. on, and so we we can bring in our fantasy experts right before the season to do a product, and we're going to be looking to do that with football season. Awesome, awesome. All right, let's wrap this up. Tell my listeners again where they can find you on social media, how they can follow you, and get get involved. All social media, Black Jaded Wolf. Okay. Mm-hmm. At Black Jaded Wolf. At that, Black Jaded Wolf. Okay. And my own site, BlackJadedWolf.com. All right. And uh, I'm at Red Felt Breaks on Instagram. And also, you could uh, check us out on the Fantasy Sports Network, F-N-T-S-Y is how we spell it. On YouTube, we have an app in the Google Play and iTunes store, as well as on Twitch, Periscope, Instagram, everywhere. Awesome. Thank you guys very much for coming over here. I'm glad it was quiet when we chose this time. Uh, I look forward to working with you in the future, guys. Thank you. as well. It was a great meeting you. I appreciate it. All right. Hey, this is Marcelo from Markdown Entertainment, and you're listening to Fat Pack Podcast. All right, guys, we're moving a lot, right along here. Uh, a big thanks to all my sponsors again, Baseball Treasures, Top Notch Breaks, and Bellow Sports Cards. We're all out on the floor. But right now, I'm with Kevin from Historic Autographs doing his thing. I, I know you guys have uh, I've seen these products out there. I get to see it when it comes in the office, and I can't talk about it. There have been so many things, Kevin, that have come through, and I'm like, oh, I want to take a picture of this and show everybody right now. But out of respect for you guys and what you guys do, I don't do it. But it's amazing stuff. Please introduce yourself. Tell us about how long you've been involved in the hobby and how you got to where you are now. Well, my name is Kevin Hefner. I'm the owner and president of Historic Autographs. We opened Historic Autographs eight years ago, but I've been in the hobby since I was 12. Oh, wow. Uh, that would be 35 years. And you could do the math and figure out how old I am. <laughs> uh, I've loved this since I was a kid, since I played ball. And the hobby, to me, has transformed somewhat. I mean, of course it transformed. Everything changes every day. Uh, look how bas- big basketball is today considering you know even when jordan came out i mean look at why do you think jordan's rookies are worth so much exactly because nobody collected it they were throwing those boxes away i knew i, I knew somebody that used to sell them for eight dollars a box wow yeah they cry a lot now but <laughs> i mean I, you know we decided that historic autographs that we could do the sports stuff but there isn't a, be- a better representation in my opinion in the hobby than what historic autograph does for the historical side of it Sure. When you, you look at the three products that we've done that have been strictly historically based, we did the Civil War. It was called Appomattox. Yes, yes. That that was killer. Uh, a lot of good reviews. Yeah, there are going to be some people dissenters. You, you can't make everybody happy, but but we truly do try. We truly try our best to make everybody happy. Uh, I'll explain it when I get to the POTA side of it. How we do that? We did a product called the Mob. A little bit of a um, a touchy subject. What it, it really it really picked up like two months after it was out when all the people that collected the mob and there were a lot of them that do when they finally realized they're like wow this is on the market I right. can go get this right. actually I have some of those cards here um, and nice. I'm gonna give these to give these to you if you want to give some of them away That's to your great, podcasters man. these are all 9.5s nice uh, you're looking at Tony Spilantro right if anybody knows he's a Chicago hitman. We also have the Kefauver hearings, which is where uh, Frank Costello famously said, hey, I paid my tax. Right. And this is the Appalachian meeting, which is where uh, Carlo Gambino basically got 57 mobsters arrested. Right. Uh, but yeah, the history awesome. of all the histories are written on the back. Uh, I was a history teacher so and a writer, so I get to write them out. So to me, that's like heaven. Right. Uh, but what I was saying about how we help the ba- try to balance the boxes, 
with POTUS, which was our big release so far this year. There were 432 boxes. Every box had a president, auto, presidential autograph, and then a secondary autograph, okay. which would have been a vice president, a first lady. We had every vice president, which was impressive. Nice. Um, a lot of the first ladies, not everyone. And we had some we had cabinet members. But what we would do is if we didn't think the box was up to snuff, if we didn't think the box had enough, this is an unannounced thing. We would drop a third autograph in. Oh, wow. Just, just because we didn't think the guy that was opening that box for that value was getting enough of his money back. Okay. So we would drop a third in. So there's probably 20 boxes that for no reason other than the fact that we wanted to make sure our customers, the end consumer, were happy. We would drop in another auto. And sometimes those autos were presidents. Nice. So we, we just didn't throw in junk. We would throw in one box had Franklin Roosevelt and Eleanor Roosevelt as your first two hits. <laughs> so we wanted to make it, you know, a, a, a trifecta. We threw in Harry Truman because that was the vice president. Right. You know, so we, we try to make it fun. We try to... We, we, we are such collectors that we want, we, when we put them together, I can imagine and feel what the person opening it is going to feel like. Yes. And that is how I, bottom lines are bottom lines. I'm in it to make some money. I'm not rich. Right. I make enough to keep myself, my, my partner, and my staff, you know, in business. But in all honesty, we try our best to make sure when we put a product out, that, that enough people are going to get it and be like, we love this stuff. Yeah, it's first of all, it's so refreshing to hear somebody at the top of a company speak like that to, to four collectors. So literally speaking, for collectors because you guys are collectors. Right. So to hear somebody at the top of a company say something like that, it means a lot. Coming, going out to the community, I really appreciate that. Although I'm not going to name any company names or anything like that, but. Somebody said, you know, somebody said, well, how can you really say that, Kevin? Well, I can say it was sheer numbers. Right. The factory cost of my presidential box had two, we had two autographs. The only other presidential box in the last eight years that came out had one autograph or one or two, I, whether, whether it was one or two, it was twice the cost. Right. So I had to have left money on the table if mine was half price. Right. So I know I could have made more money on it. And a lot of people said, why didn't you? It's because I'm, I made an, I, I want other people to eat. I got to leave money on the table because I want people to love my company. Exactly. Because I want them to know I care. And you're looking. You're looking at me. You can tell. I. I'm not lying. Right. I want people to love my. I'm gonna have people that aren't happy sometimes, and even if they come up to the national, I'll give away. We give away. That's all we are here to do. We have, historic autographs has done nothing but give things away at the national. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Doing that. Give that away to one of your podcasts. That's awesome. I that is what one of the coin relic card looks like that came in our POTUS wax and the premium boxes. So I want to talk about the POTUS for a moment because you're a history guy. I want to tell you it. I want to tell you a story, if you will. Um, my great grandfather was the head chef at the Hotel Texas. He served John Kennedy his last meal. Ooh, wow. I have that in my back pocket. Uh, that's on my mom's side. My great-grandfather on my dad's side he when he was alive he lived in a home that was two blocks away from the cemetery where they buried Lee Harvey Oswald so my whole childhood I'm going to the cemetery where Lee Harvey Oswald is and I have the back pocket story of my great-grandfather on my mom's side served Kennedy his last meal no one believes me I, like every girl I've ever tried to impress with this <laughs> I tell them the story they don't believe me and then they they come over and we have a picture of of my grandfather and John Kennedy sitting together, nice. so they can't say much after that. I love history. That's why I love your products. The Civil War product was amazing. Those mafia product, 
It was called The Mob. I right. said Mafia because there's a podcast. I'm sorry. There's a podcast out now called Mafia. Now I'm going back through the mob set going, oh, that's that guy. Oh, that's that guy. Oh, this is this card. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, specifically with POTUS, there's a new podcast out called, uh, oh, it's called Cover Up. And it's about Ted Kennedy and that chapter. Oh, uh, Chapel Whip. Yeah. Chapel Quiddick. Yeah, but like, it just ties back into POTUS because of the Kennedy name. That's what it, kept him out of the uh, out of the Oval Office. Yes, yes. So I'm looking at your products, looking, look, listening to podcasts that I listen to. I can tie it all back in with historic autographs and what you guys are doing. And so uh, I'm kind of washing your balls a little bit, but yeah, I think it's you. awesome. I think it's awesome. You know, one of the one of the things is you, know, you look at these other ones. I, I honestly believe. Don't get me wrong. You look at uh, one of one. Giannis Deante could do whatever it is. Yeah. The, the Greek freak. I love him. But like a one-on-one black card came out of a product this year, sold for five hundred dollars. Right. And I look at him like he is great. I love watching him play. He's fantastic. But that same five hundred dollars could have get could have gotten you with Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed letter. Right. And in a hundred years, people will know LeBron. People will know Michael. They might know who DeCampo is, but. It's Franklin Delano Roosevelt, right. the man that helped drag us out of the Great Depression, that helped make America great again. That's a, that's a, that, <laughs> you know, that was the first make America great again. Right. But it's true. Right. The world true. needed somebody like Delano to do that, and he did it with the help. It was a, it's a team effort. It's always a team. It's not one man. It's that man, his vice president, the cabinet, and Congress working together. It's the beauty of the American system. But. They're spending five hundred dollars on a car because somebody slapped the one on one on it. Right. And yet for that same five hundred dollars, and I'm not picking on on the Greek freak. He's a great player. I'd want him on the Sixers. Go Philly. And <laughs> I had to throw that one in. Right. I got you. Them. I got but, you. But you know, it's he's not Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and he didn't even sign the car. Right. You know, and and that's where I'm confused. Okay. Because I love history, and there's so much less it, over the course of Ben Simmons' career. He'll show up in 500 products. Sure. There'll be one-on-ones for 500 different cards, and or maybe a thousand cards. How many letters of Franklin Delano Roosevelt are going to exist? Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. And, and we're losing them every day because there are companies out there that cut them. I will say I've cut pieces, but the time I cut a letter, it's here's your autograph request, Harry Truman. There's no historical content. Right. If they meant, but I have letters at home from say, you know, Dwight David Eisenhower. Says I went golfing today, played terrible on the course. That actually has content to me because he is the most famous of the golfing presidents. Sure. He was a member of Augusta. Okay. So Oh wow, I yeah. didn't know that. Oh yeah. That the whole the seventeenth hole used to be a tree called the Eisenhower tree. Okay. It, it died so they took it down. But, yeah. But you know, you, you you have these connections, you know, cross genre connections, and these things are rarer. And but people get more excited because somebody can do a three sixty dunk or just you know make Yeah, it, it's fun to watch, it's great to watch, but how many players from 10 years ago, when you look at those lists and you're like, oh, that guy was hot, that guy was hot, that guy was hot. That guy was, you still have LeBrons and Kobe's. And, sure. But a lot of the guys fall by the wayside, especially in baseball and football. Right. Basketball, a little different, like your Durant's and your Curry's, and these guys are great every year. But that those fringe players, right. they're not going to be worth squad douche in, in five years. Right. Your Franklin Delano Roosevelt, that will happen. Let me ask you questions. Because that's what we do on podcasts. We ask questions. When you're a history teacher, is this sitting in the back of your mind going, oh, I want to I want to do this someday. I want to I want to have a card company someday or it was it something that I mean, how long did you work? How much work did you put into well, making like, this like I said, I've been doing it for 35 years right. in, in the sports industry and I was always a collector. I was teaching because 
I, I wanted to teach. I was going to teach college. And it, it, people, had to, when they want to be college professors, don't understand how difficult it is to get in there. Yeah. I had already written a book, but the, the, the other applicants on the thing had two or three books written. So okay. it, is, it, it is a very, very, very hard process. And I started thinking to myself, I can make better products that are more collector driven, that, that, that have real value. And it took a while. I mean, we've been in business eight years. And although our products have always sold, it's taken a while for us to really get our foothold into people that are really backing the historical idea. Right. You know, chick, the chicks dig the long ball and, you know, sports has that immediate impact. Yeah. But I think people are beginning to understand that the immediate impact of this guy who's hot this week and not next week, their, their money is lost so fast that they're going to go to the staples. It's like investing in stocks. Yeah. You got your penny stocks. And then you got your you know, mutual funds, sure, which are invested in your IBMs and, and the big companies that you know aren't going anywhere. Right. That's what investing in history is. Nobody's signing these things anymore. Right. They're becoming rarer and rarer, and eventually all the ball players will fade away. Sure. You know, in, the, in the names every day, but you'll always remember the big presidents. Exactly. Exactly. So what's next? Well, we're working on another civil war. Awesome. That's yeah, it's just. The amount of work, if one day we'll talk, yeah. the amount of work going into it is astronomically ridiculous. Wow. Because you have to track all the autographs down. And the harder part is tracking down the, the people that can actually authenticate. Sure. And I, Beckett and Steve Grad do a great job, but Steve will tell you when he can't, because I don't know that and I don't have exemplars. Right. So I'm working on, personally, building exemplars with the National Archive. That's beautiful. And uh, the person that runs two of the museums in Gettysburg. Okay. Now, a lot of not important guys are out of Gettysburg. Yeah, right. And I only happen to live a couple hours from Gettysburg, so it's easy for me to drive out there and sit with people. Uh, I'm doing that you know, two-pronged. One, so that the archive exists, right. the exemplar archive. And two, because it'll further my company. Sure, of course. Uh, but yeah, we're working on that. We also are working on some of our, our staples. We're doing the original Series 2 okay. the 1930s. It's got Ruth and Gehrig and Cobb and Fox and... You know, it's where we couple the original card uh -huh. with the uh, autograph. You know, as, as far as Cobb goes, we're using the Sport King. So it's a really, that, that, that is a really sweet card. Nice. Because the Sport King, that Cobb, he's just sitting there looking angry. As, yes. You know, that's just Cobb. Cobb's right. an angry man. <laughs> but he's got, you know, that, and that, that beautiful little signature of his, and it's just real sharp. Uh, we're doing a strip card version of the originals. Okay. That is racked and stacked. Wow. It is. I will say. I, I. I will. I will put. I will stake my reputation on it. May be the most stacked product we've ever put out. Awesome. And dollars and cents wise, I think it's cheap. I don't know where it's exactly going to be yet, but there are less. There are going to be less than nine hundred boxes. That that I know. Probably around eight fifty. But in there are ten Tris speakers. Five. These are what I have in stock. It could get bigger. Five Eddie Collins. Five. Well, I know there's five Mickey Cochran's. But there's also two Walter Johnson, three Ty Cobb, and four Mr. George Herman Ruth. Wow. So let's just say it's 800, and you got four. That means you're getting an average of a Babe Ruth every 200 boxes. Right. No product out there can no. boast that. Not, especially because you're getting the real card, too. Exactly. It's, it's, you're not just getting the auto. You're getting the auto and the card. But this we're doing in a booklet form, a four-by-four-inch booklet that's going to be, you know, it's, it's real nice. We like it. We want to try that design because eventually we want to do other sets and uh, it, it gives us a wider canvas to, to put our cards on. Can I ask you about the art on your cards? Because a lot of them do have art on uh, the pieces that actually come through the office. 
Do you guys have an in-house artist that designs that, or our our my main man Justin does the design? Okay, pardon me. Uh, he, I brought him in a couple of years ago, and he is self-taught. Okay, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a pretty bright guy, and he doesn't do the art. Everything's digital, but sure. like, he does everything from the T-shirts we have at the at the national to all the boxes, all the cards. Uh, he, he's been a, a true find for us. But awesome. yeah, it's all done in house. Awesome, that's great stuff, man. I'm gonna let you get back over to your Thank booth. You. Appreciate uh, it. I really appreciate your time. I'm gonna come see your booth too. Okay. I'll, I'll walk past it. Well, when you finish with this, why don't we head over? Let's do that. Okay. All right. Thank you. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to the Fat Pack. All right, guys, we're back after another quick break. Day two of my second day here at the National. There's a lot of stuff on the floor. A lot of stuff I've never seen before. A lot of stuff I don't know anything about. Hence my next interview guest, Mr. Zach, Zach Browning. He is a Pokemon guy. There's Pokemon stuff out here galore, and uh, you're, you're, you're the guy, right? You're the expert. That's what they say. That's what they say? Absolutely. Okay, so let's give it a little background before we just jump in. What? What makes you the expert? Where, where did your knowledge come from? So, you know, as a kid back in 1989, I opened up Pokemon packs, and then you collected probably through 2002 when, or 2003 when Wizards of the Coast lost the license to Nintendo. That's sort of considered the first generation, the first era of the, the card collecting hobby. Sure. And then Nintendo took over the uh, Pokemon license from 2003 all the way to today. Right. And, you know, after you go through high school and college, you start getting a little extra money. What can you buy? What can you invest in? And for me, I just went back to my childhood with Pokemon. And so he started buying the 99 originals. Then you start going for the newer sets, and eventually you figure out what you like and you stick with it. And uh, over the years, the hobby's just grown tremendously from a ton of people in just my age range. That category. Sure. Um, how old are you? Thirty? I'm 27. 27. Okay. So my my pocket is is, is like you know mid 80s baseball cards, right? right That's where right. I came in. You guys with the Pokemon stuff, you, you millennials. Uh, your, your stuff is 1999 Pokemon. Absolutely. So it's crazy to me how many guys in the sports world, like we talk to these athletes, right, all over the country. Uh, for example, we went to the rookie photo shoot out in Los Angeles, right. right? Player after player, hey, did you collect cards growing up? No, not really, but I did play Pokemon. And like, <laughs> it's, it was ridiculous how yeah. many, Saquon Barkley is a Pokemon fan. Right. You don't know that unless you talk to Saquon Barkley, right? Ronda Rousey's big Pokemon exactly. girl. Exactly. It's yeah. nuts. It's a. It's something, I'm going to be completely honest with you, I don't understand it. I don't know it, so I don't understand it. But I know that the craze is there. For God's sake, they had their first commercial last year right at the Super Bowl. Right. But it's been around so much longer than that, and like the cards are getting expensive. Right, they are. Right? You were telling me about a box over, over somewhere that... It's going to auction. It's a sealed box. What do you think it's going to go for? It's a first edition base set booster box. I would guess at least fifty thousand, maybe more, uh, maybe sixty thousand at the high end. But I mean, there have been three or four sales above fifty thousand this year. Wow! And so it's it's not an uncommon thing to show up. But when it does, people come out to pay. How much do you think? How much of that stuff do you think is out there still? Out there still, I would say last year I maybe knew of five or six boxes people were aware of, and this year it's starting to come out of the woodwork because again the prices are getting higher. I'd probably say there's 10 to 15 that I can locate, mm -hmm. and you know I have people on eBay they just reach out and say, "Hey, I've sealed first edition base, what's it worth?" 
well, number sure. one, you want to authenticate and make sure it's real. Right. And uh, just from that alone, I could, I could probably pinpoint 12 or 15 if I were to guess. I mean, I'd probably say maybe around 100. I think that'd be a pretty conservative estimate. Now, you said a few years ago, we're not going to date it exactly, but you bought one for a significantly less amount of money. Right. Did, did you open it or did you? I did, actually. Did? I flew out to Seattle, which is where Wizard of the Coast is right. headquartered. Right. I went to a card shop there. I opened it up with the guy I was buying it from. And because, uh, again, you, you worry about fake boxes, you worry about counterfeits. So for me, I just had to be sure. And I opened up the packs. It was real. It was great. And uh, graded all the cards. And I'm very happy that I did. Are those cards, are, like, I see magic come through all the time right. uh, in, in the grading room. And I, I do see some Pokemon. They, one, I, I see a lot of fakes. Right. So counterfeiting is a big problem. With Pokemon, people haven't quite got it right, okay. and so it's hard to fake the card. More people are faking the sealed product or the boxes. Okay, um, you see more of that. But the actual card, there, there are ways that uh, collectors and graders have been able to just point out the fakes pretty easily. But you haven't seen fakes that look identical. I okay. mean, those just don't exist for cards in the 1999 era. I mean, the newer cards maybe, but the, the vintage, kind of the the higher end stuff, I just don't see fakes that that. Are top quality. Top quality. I'm not trying to say right, right, anyone right. to do it, but so we. I'm going to talk magic just for a moment. Okay. Adam Kai, he's like the biggest magic guy that I know. He comes into the office quite frequently, and I've seen large sums of money transferred right. over magic cards. Uh, and you're saying fifty thousand possibly for this box of right. Pokemon over here. Is this just something that's just going to continue to grow because the boxes say there's there only a hundred left in the country? Right. Is is it just going to grow and grow and grow, or is there? Do you think there's going to be a leveling out process? I mean, I, I think it's going to continue to grow, and that's if you come back to this one key factor, which I call the market cap. Mm -hmm. If you take all the graded cards, all the Pokemon product from that era that's in mint condition or sealed, the market cap isn't that big. And it's actually a much smaller market cap uh, than Magic the Gathering. And so if you had one or two big buyers that had a larger bankroll, like you do at Magic, that came in, I mean, you would see the prices explode. Sure. And one thing you're probably aware of in Magic is a lot of people do buyouts. They pick a car, they try to buy everything with the reserve right. list. With Pokemon, that just hasn't happened yet. And the thing is, you know, Unlimited in first edition, they're both truly limited products. They aren't being reprinted like maybe Yu-Gi-Oh! or some other things. And anything that was printed in 1999 hasn't come back out since. So if you want to do a buyout or something, that's something totally possible. And we just haven't seen that happen yet. And when it does, you're going to see another spike in prices. Okay. I'm I, again. I'm. I'm. I don't have a knowledge of it, but I right. know. I know people that do have a working knowledge of it. Right. And it. Uh, it. It's crazy to see. To okay. see. Uh, the way it works, man. I just like. We have a hundred thousand. Possibly a hundred thousand card right over here to my left. Right. The show. The show you Otani. But it's crazy to think that a Pokemon card could possibly sell for that. I mean, and, someday, you yeah. know, we, we've actually had uh, private sales of some of the higher-end Japanese trophy cards uh, go for over $100,000. And, we, and again, we're going back to celebrities collecting them. And that celebrity money gets into it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, what, what if one of the big YouTubers, or he held a graded Pokemon card? What, what would that do to the hobby? Right. I mean, you just haven't really seen that at that level yet. Sure. A lot of people are good in their niche, and they sort of stick to that. But if one person held up a graded Charizard, how many people would think back to 1989 when they were opening base packs or jungle packs? And, you know, we relive those childhood memories, and how many of us have negative experiences with Pokemon? Right. Re really none. Every right. experience you have with Pokemon is positive. Sure. And uh, it's always been sort of a happy place to go to for most collectors.
I, I think I know the answer, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyways. Did the, the, the Pokemon Go app, did it do something for the collecting, for the hobby? Did it, like, create interest in it again? Or was it always there? Well, what it did is it brought people back to the hobby. So people that maybe left the hobby that were like me, who, you know, went to college or high school, you know, girls or whatever kind of came your way. Yeah. It, it just, it reminds you what Pokemon was. And then you start looking at eBay, looking what things going on. And, and it brings people back to see what's happening in the hobby today. Mm -hmm. I think when people with Pokemon Go found out how active the Pokemon community is, that's what brought them back to the hobby for good. And we find a lot of people staying in the hobby now. Have you have you traveled internationally to see Pokemon? Like I haven't traveled internationally, but I go to the Pokemon Worlds every year. Okay. Um, I've routinely go to different cities to do Pokemon deals, to buy high-end cards or whatever uh, might come up. Yeah, I, I I asked because you mentioned the Japanese market earlier, and, and again with the Otani card, like that that card, the value of that card is going to be completely subjective to the Japanese market, right? Right. Because, right. So is what about for Pokemon? It's huge in Japan. Is it going to be the same thing? Like, is a say a Charizard from Japan in Japan? Is it going to go for more money there, or vice versa? We're going to find high-end collectors wherever you go. Sure. Um, with some the higher-end trophy cards specifically, the Japanese collectors that were awarded the cards, they don't like to sell them. They like to hold them. And so there's less of them on the market. You know, each year there might only be between three and nine cards of a trophy card produced. And so okay. the demand, if you want that card, it's you and five other guys sure. fighting the same card. Wow. Uh, but the demand's always going to be there for those upper echelon cards. So, let's wrap this up. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions here. Uh, what's your prized possession in your collection? Oh, man. My prized possession. Uh, I'd probably say the most unique card I have is I have an error card. It's a dark version, but it's missing the HP. Okay. And right now, it's a pop one card in the gem mint gray. And so, there's probably like 80, to maybe 80 uh, nines or lower. And I have the only one that's a gem bag. That was another. That was my my second question was asking, what does the pop report mean to Pokemon collectors? Is it is it the holy grail? I mean, today it's it's gaining more and more validity because you aren't finding more loose cards. Sure. A couple years ago, loose cards were flowing in the market. The pop report goes up, but today you're just not seeing the increases, uh, the increases as often. And so it's sort of telling you what's out there, what you have to work with. And it is kind of what it is. I mean, you're not going to see these boards come out as often as we did maybe in the last year or so. Sure. All right, man. Thanks for sitting down with me. I'm, my mind is blown. I got to go yeah. take this in. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Curtis Helton, First Row Collectible, and you're listening to the Fat Tax Podcast. All right, guys, moving right along here. Uh, we're about to wrap this up for the for the day. You're going to hear three voices this time. It's myself, Mr. Eric Norton, my newer co-host, Mr. Jeff from the Pack Geek. What's hey, up? Hey, what's up, guys? And a voice that you should be familiar with if you've listened to our show at all, Mr. Ken Reed from Sportsnet Central. What's up, man? Boys, just enjoying an awesome show. I can't get over the size of this. I'm on sensory overload right now. So this... I seen you last year in Chicago. Yeah. Is this an annual trip for you? Like wherever the if it's close to sure. Toronto. Yeah, if it's close to Toronto and maybe it's at, where is it, Atlantic City next year? Uh back in Chicago next back year. In Chicago, okay, so that's easy. There's my buddy Hirsch from Frozen Pond. Oh, what's up, man? Hi, Hi. Hirsch. Back in uh, back in Chicago next year. Uh, I can easily do that. And yeah, and then you know, maybe some big wheeler dealer like Hirsch will fly me to Atlantic City. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So uh, I missed you at the last uh, Toronto show. Yeah. You were out doing some charity work. 
Yeah, I was in Newfoundland uh, for a Heart and Stroke Hockey Heroes event. Uh, 16 former NHLers and myself uh, went out. <laughs> had a good time, enjoyed all that Newfoundland has to offer. You Dallas guys got to get up to Newfoundland. It's, uh, it's a treat. What is that like? It's like 13 hours outside of Toronto? What is it? <laughs> it's, uh, it's about a two and a half, three hour flight. Okay. Uh, and uh, west or east of Toronto uh, in the, I guess you'd say, North Atlantic. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's awesome. Road trip yeah, road it is, trip. Yeah, it's the easternmost point of North America. I was there. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a great spot. It's, it's some of the best people, fantastic food, couple beer. Who's in the fun. game? Oh, let's see. We had Dale Howardchuk, we had Denny Savard, we had Ally Afraidy, uh, Mike Krusalniski was there. There's uh, Gary Lehman was there. There's a pack of uh, about 16 of us who travel around and do these things. We we did a Heart Stroke Hockey Heroes in Moncton as well, in Halifax as well. Brad May was there. They love Brad May in Newfoundland. I know he's huge in Buffalo, and they love him in Newfoundland as well. Awesome, awesome. Everybody's here. There's my brother. Oh, he's Peter. bringing your beer. No, no that's his no, beer. No, no. That's not for him. <laughs> We're just doing a podcast. Hey, I'm doing well. Hey, you want to join the podcast? Hey, just all sit down. We'll have a good time. Yeah, you're on the podcast. Yeah, what? You're, you're on, on a oh, podcast. Really? Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Welcome to the show. So, uh, here's a cool thing. We on his show on the Pat Geek. He likes to rip mid '80s wax. Oh, cool. Okay. Awesome. I know you're into that. You Love wrote. It. You wrote a great piece. I, I guess it's been a few months now. Maybe, maybe not quite a year. About cards you had in your collection. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 80s hockey. Yes. Run down some of the highlights of that. Wayne Babbage was the my, uh, Wayne Babbage was in it. Uh, I had a card of Jim Corn from the Maple Leafs. I wrote his I drove a mustache on him. Yeah. And I saw the card, so I used that mustache in the piece. Um, there was just some some great cards in there that, that were fun for me as a kid, and you know ones that that always stuck with me. Uh, I wrote a piece on 21 cards for 21 teams. Right. From when I grew up, it was in conjunction with Tim Hortons hockey cards. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm going to be handing out Tim Hortons hockey cards in September in Toronto downtown. Sweet. Young and Dundas, September 22nd. Come on down, and uh, yeah, it's just a, like Peter here collected cards with me, so it was just a walk down memory lane, and of course the book that was uh, along right. those lines as well. Now uh, I loved that that piece was very uh, it was very fair. Okay. Because Gretzky wasn't the number one. Right. I mean, obviously it's the most expensive sure. of the era, so a lot of people go, oh. It's number one, right. but you took it from a completely different approach. Yeah, I just I just look at cards that I had a connection with, or, or cards that meant something to me, and ones that I can remember getting. Uh, the Gretzky card was the holy grail of my childhood. My Peter and I we okay. searched for it forever. In fact, you can read that story in the upcoming book, Hockey Card Stories 2, out nice. this October 15th, from ECW Publishing. Sorry, what was that name again? <laughs> That's Hockey Card Stories 2, coming out this October 15th, so the story of that card is in the book, but yeah. For this column I did, I just went went for different cards that, that I got a kick out of as a kid. I, the, the one that, that so sticks out to me still is Steve Weeks and the fact that he had jogging pants on under his pads when he was going for the New York Rangers. And when my buddy Mark Harone and I saw that, we would wear gray jogging pants under our goalie pads whenever we'd play road ho hockey. It was like a Steve Weeks nod. And then all of a sudden, local kid goalies started doing just in this nod to this hockey card. I'm sure Steve Weeks had no idea the influence he had on kids in rural Nova Scotia because of his hockey <laughs> what, what I miss about 80s cards is the photography. Yes. Um, because you get things like Steve Weeks wearing yes. uh, jogging pants. You get uh, Glenn Hubbard with a python around his neck, yes, right? Yes, yes. You get, you get Billy Ripken with an FU on the bottom hey, of his he, back. he bought that card this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I, bought, I bought two of them this week. Oh, yeah, FF, that's right. Yeah. I, I went a little more harsh. That's uh, right. But you get, you just, 
everything's so clean cut now. You just don't yeah. get that. And some of those pictures will live on oh. forever and ever. And they ever. were the best. It was the best bad photography ever because, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of the hockey cards I know came out of St. Louis of Washington. That's where a lot of the photography was done. But he, maybe he had one night to get the Montreal Canadiens. They were coming through one night that year, and he was there. And if he didn't get the best picture of you, so be it. It's going to end up a lousy one on a card. I mean, some of the pictures were just outstandingly, awesomely bad, sure. it, but in such a good way. Right. You know? Let alone um, the airbrushing. Let alone, oh, the oh. airbrushing is artwork in itself. Right. I bought, I've got a beauty Ted Irvine 7576 OPG today in an airbrushed St. Louis Blues uniform. It is a work of art. <laughs> and I will tell you, Mike Krusineski, who's a good buddy of Hershey's, loves his first Los Angeles Kings card because they just took him and they painted a helmet on him and they painted an LA Kings jersey on him, they painted gloves on him, and he just stands there and he goes, look at the artwork, this is just magnificent, I love this <laughs> card. And it's it totally looks like it's done in crayon. And wow. I was gonna say crayon. Yeah, it was exactly. such a great time. It was so innocent. Nice, very nice. It's such a pleasure having you on because we get to talk about uh, Canadian sports a lot. Yeah. Uh, when you're on, because no one else talks about it. Right. But I do want to point out that you're wearing a San Francisco Seals hat. That's Oakland Seals, Oakland baby. Oakland Seals. I'm Across sorry. the bay. Yeah. That's yeah. uh They came became what Minnesota. They became the Cleveland Bears, yeah, the Cleveland. and then became the Minnesota. That's merged right. With the Minnesota North Stars. Yeah. A couple that's people here in Cleveland have noticed the hat, and they've said nice things. So oh, awesome. That was good. Yeah. Was that intentional? Uh, it wasn't intentional. It was just in my car. Oh, nice. But uh, I'll name drop. I'm going to name drop again, Hirsch. This hat was given to me by a good buddy, Dennis Marouk, who used to play for the Oakland Seals. Buddy of Hirsch's as well. Did you not share a book with him? And I co-wrote a book blood? with Dennis Marouk. Yeah, what was the name of that book? It was called The Unforgettable Story of Hockey's Forgotten 60 Little Man. So, there Believe you go. the last time you were on the podcast, we, we spoke with you and Mr. Marouk. Yes, that's right. Dennis yes. dropped by. That's right. At, yes. that, at the, the Expo in Toronto. Yes. That's right. Yeah. That was a great, great conversation. That was fun. Dennis is a good dude. He is a good dude. He, he always uh, looks good. Eh? Always he always dresses well. I was like... Me and Paul both were way underdressed to be in that photo. I, I was like, I, I'm sorry, sir. Yeah, you, you look good, Eric. You look good. <laughs> Thanks. So let's talk about some uh, big things in, in Canada. First, Vlad not going into the Hall of Fame as an expo. What's up with that? Uh, I think the Angels needed somebody to go in finally as an Angel. He's the first Angel to go in. Um, he could have easily gone in as an expo. Uh, we did a great documentary on Sportsnet about him, and you know, I think Stephen Brenner did the documentary. Said it best: they celebrated Angels fans celebrated, Expos fans celebrated, but nobody celebrated quite like they did in the Dominican Republic. Right. So he's, you know, I think a lot of Expos fans were pretty cool with him going as an Angel. Nobody raised too much of a stink. I know Expos Nation. My buddy Anakin Slade, who's always down there, he's he's a big Expos backer. Uh, he was down there. All the old Expos uh, fans from Montreal were down there. Lots of Expos alumni went down. So there was a lot of Expos flavor. So ideally, would it have been great if you went in with an Expos cap? Absolutely, but it's okay. Okay. Now, if Tim Raines went in as a White Sox, or Gary Carter went in as a Met, or Andre Dawson went in as a Cup, then there would have been issues. There would have been problems, right? There would have been but lots you, of problems. You could be a conspiracy theorist and say there's more financial opportunity going as, as an Angel than of as an there is. Of course there is. Of course. So this isn't a conspiracy theory podcast, no. but there's plenty of those. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is not the Jesse Ventura podcast. That's right. Oh. That's right. Let's talk about Vlad Jr. Because yeah. he is... People are psyched. And, and, and Bichette, too. Oh, I know. My God. I know. You guys in Toronto, you guys made a lot of moves 
well. on on the trade deadline. But those two guys are the foundation of your uh, of your franchise going forward. I mean, glad he could have been playing for them this year, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. You see a lot of young guys around the bigs. He could have easily been playing this year, but I think they didn't want to maybe use him for a year that they thought would be quote unquote wasted because the Jays are not good. Right. So and why bring up bring him up and expose him to that? I see both sides of the argument. Uh, the fan of me wants to go down to the Rogers Center in Toronto and watch Vladdy. Sure. But uh, I guess if I really wanted to see him, I could drive down to Buffalo now. It's not right. too far away. Right? It's not too far away. And, and Bichette, it's quality too. He's still oh, in double yeah. A, but he looks like a ball player too. When when he hit that home run uh, preseason uh, in, uh, in Montreal. Yeah, in Montreal. Yeah. That was insane. That was written. That it had to be yeah, written, right. Right. It right. had to be. It, it was looked like it was scripted. It was I, awesome. I refer to it as the greatest preseason home run in MLB history. It, it might has have been. To be. It might have been. I mean, everything worked. Everything worked. Did you perfectly. see that, Jeff? I didn't see You're, it. Okay, so he cranks. This is that place in, in Montreal forever, right? Yeah. He cranks the home run out of. Is, is it Olympic Stadium? They go. Yeah, yeah, Olympic Stadium. So, Walk off home run, and his dad's in the crowd to see the whole thing. No, and what a it, beautiful moment! It was a beautiful. It was full circle, yeah. It, full, it was. It was amazing. The only problem was it was preseason, but it was still a beautiful, beautiful thing. It gave meaning to preseason. It sure did. And what's great, the English call is good. Mm. The French call is amazing. <laughs> yeah, bloody, yeah, it is great. so great. So Ken, I'm, I'm curious. Um, do you have a, a shopping list here? Is there any cards you're looking for in particular at the show? Uh, when I come, I just kind of buy whatever kind of catches my eye or makes me laugh. Hers is the same, I think. Kind of just make you laugh. Yeah, you make me laugh and you buy whatever. I saw Gary Carter autograph rookie authenticated. I'm a big nice. Expos fan. I got that one. Got that by the way. Good. Yeah, I, I just saw an, an all-star program from 1982, Expos, got that. So I just kind of, oh, I bought an Expos batting helmet for 40 bucks from the 70s. Nice. Just stuff like that. There's you a know. Pelly Lindbergh autograph card for 1600 Yeah. I would love it, but not for 16 Not for yeah, 1600 I, And I saw a Pelly Lindbergh uh, Did you make an offer? Stick? No. Yeah, I saw a Lindbergh stick uh, for 100 You should make an offer before you leave. For 100 bucks. No, game used? Uh, it has Lindbergh's name on it. Yeah, the guy wants three grand for it. Oh, oh my oh. god! The one with electric tape on yeah. it. Those yeah, are Canadian great. prices, man. That's oh my like god, that's like prices. three thousand bucks. That's like eight. That's like eight eighty-five hundred dollars to us, right down here. Yeah. Minimum. <laughs> minimum. <laughs> I mean, we come down here for for hockey cards and sneakers. That's why we come to the United States. <laughs> You're all going back in Air Force Ones. <laughs> yeah. Sneakers are sneakers, sneakers are big. Sneakers and beer, big price difference. So let me ask you one more thing. I'll let you guys get up and roam around. I got a, another show to go do at the main stage, but uh, you brought up hockey cards. What's what's Jonathan Taze going to do in Toronto? Uh, uh, Tavares. 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 I said Taze. Yeah. Tavares. What's that going to mean for Toronto? And what do you think it's going to be mean for hockey guards? Uh, okay. Maple Leafs. Sp- 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 Any, anything with him on a Leaf is going to sell. Yeah. Uh, it's it's always insane to get Leafs tickets. Now it's going to be impossible. Um, the hype is our. I, I mean. Are the Leafs not the number one talking point on t- on radio in Toronto in the middle of August and July? Yes, it's right. crazy. It's it's the insanity that we live at, live with as being in the center, quote unquote, of the hockey universe in Toronto. It's only going to get dialed up. My brother's converted to a Leafs fan. Oh. I'm not a I'm I'm an independent observer, but <laughs> it's going to be madness, man. And they are deep down the middle. Tavares, Matthews, Kadri. If they get a defense man, and I stress man, like there, there was rumors about them and Alex Petrangelo, that would be the perfect fit. I don't know what they'd have to give up, but if they get a big, kind of tough guy on the point, and I'm not saying a goon, but just a, a guy that you know plays Chris Pronger kind of hockey, if you can do that anymore, that would be perfect for the Leafs. Because I think they have a really good goalie in Anderson. 
this is going to be the perfect storm when we get up there to the expo in November. Oh, it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. And I guarantee you Upper Deck is going to have something to celebrate Tavares oh, yeah. in a Maple Leafs jersey. Yeah, Chris Carlin's a pretty happy guy. Chris Carlin, by the way, also wrote the forward for my upcoming book, Hockey Card Stories 2. <laughs> Sidney Crosby wrote the forward, too. Sidney Crosby nice. and, uh, and uh, Chris Carlin. Yeah, it's going to be madness in Toronto at the Expo yeah. with this whole Tavares stuff going on. Yeah, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be crazy. The beginning of the season, you know, it's going to be absolutely insane. Oh All right, man, I'm going to let you get out of here. Want me to bring it full circle for you guys let's from Dallas? This. Yeah, let's do You're this. You're sitting with Peter Anthony. That's his comic name. His real name is Peter Reed. Peter's a big comedian in Canada. It's done Just for Laughs. He's open with Seinfeld and Dana Carvey and all that. No, I get plugs. Yeah, you get plugs. I'll bring it full <laughs> What's circle. What's the name of your book again? Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring it full circle. He grew up, played hockey, peewee, phantom, AAA, midget, AAA, all the way until this gentleman left. And four years after he left, he won a Stanley Cup with the Dallas Stars in 1999, his old teammate John Sims. So that's my Dallas connection to you guys you from awesome. the Reed family. Dallas Full baby. circle, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! That's Rick Flaherty. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Ken, for stopping by. Thanks, Thanks for joining. Hey. I, Thanks I'm for a, letting me crash. I'm a big comedian fan, oh, cheers, so nice any, anytime right. you want to jump on, please do yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, Peter's good. He knows his cards, too. Awesome. Thanks, awesome. guys. All right, Cheers. guys, you hang tight. We'll be right back. Great job, Ian. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Chris from Slipknot, and you're listening to Fat Pat. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been a long day. The show, we get the dealers and corporate sponsors, we get here about 8.30. The show opens at 10, and they shut it down at 6.00. I've been promising these two gentlemen an autograph, or I'm sorry, a, an interview for two days. You're going to have an autograph if you want one. <laughs> uh, I have my, my, my friend Val and my friend Logan. They're NASCAR guys. You might have heard Val on uh, uh, NASCAR radio, is that right? Uh, well, I'm starting that up. Starting uh, that up. I've, been, I've been on, uh, like, let me get that autograph at yeah. uh, um, Sports Card Radio, yeah. That's right. And then Logan is, uh, you just got... Recognized by PSA, correct? Sure did. Uh, I'm in the PSA Collector Hall of Fame. All right. There's like only 18 folks, I think, in that thing. There's only 18 folks in the PSA Collector Hall of Fame. Yes. And what did you get inducted into the PSA Collector Hall of Fame for? Uh, my collection of PSA, my collection of PSA cards and, okay. and memorabilia. All right. Autographs, tickets, all that. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I'll put you in the Beggar Hall of Fame as soon as we're done. Okay, good. Right. <laughs> so you guys are big NASCAR guys. Obviously, that's why you're here. Yes. Uh, this has been a very eclectic podcast. Uh, we've had hockey. We've had soccer. We've had um, mafia. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so uh, we're all over the place. So why not end it with NASCAR? Let's do this, right? Right. What do you guys think of the current state of the NASCAR market coming from Panini? So Panini, um, they have some great products coming out. Um, yeah. They, they've had products, great products coming out. They, they continue to have good stuff. Um, Prism's coming out. Uh, there's some other stuff coming out later in the year. Uh, Certified just um, dropped. I guess it was last week. Okay. I, I, I forget what day it is right now. <laughs> um, and the checklist is great. And uh, so, I, I, you know, National Treasures have been hits in the past. So. Uh, the, we've been talking to some of the dealers, and they're talking about how everybody loves National Treasures, and it's just um, everybody's clamoring for it. Yeah, actually, the NASCAR market—I found out that it's bigger probably than I thought it was. I mean, you don't see a lot of it here, but 
the demand is there. It's, it's amazing to me how many people I've seen carrying around boxes, how many people I've seen with shirts on. Uh, so it's it's there. It's just this show. I mean, it's mostly baseball, you know, the yeah. big four sports. Right. So yeah, but it's 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 strong. I think. How's the memorabilia market in NASCAR or racing in general? Is it? I, I what I know about NASCAR collectors is they collect their guy, right? Or yes. maybe they collect their 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 guy's team. It, but with that being said, I see you wearing. Who is this, Petty? What is this? Yeah, this is Richard Petty's okay. crew chief. This is this is a uniform from back uh, in the oh, in the nineties. Okay. And, and this is Dale Inman. This was his crew chief. He's also in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Okay. So yeah. So like, how does that kind of stuff do with collectors? Is I, we all know cards, right? I don't know. I don't know NASCAR memorabilia. Do you, is that a big chase factor? It it can be. I mean. The uniforms, like a, like a Dale Earnhardt Senior uniform, I mean, those things go for, you know, ten thousand, twelve thousand, maybe even more. Okay. Yeah. You don't see them much. But you and, just don't and, see and them. There, much. There's not a lot of them, and so they might change hands. Uh, I don't know, you know, behind the scenes, kind of sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe not necessarily hit the auction houses, but um, you know, they're very super rare. And you know, the crew chief shirts, the old ones with all the patches and stuff. I've seen. Um, some stuff, but you don't see a lot of it. And, you don't see a lot. and like to your point, uh, they, they people collect their driver or their team or whatever, right. and then the, they'll like go nuts for it when a new product comes out, and they'll overpay just to have that and try to work on that rainbow. Or um, I've seen stuff already going out for um, for certified that when people are busting it, so trying to get those colors. So, so when collecting a team. I guess, I mean, everybody wants, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing, like, everybody wants to collect Dell Earnhardt Jr. or, you know, Kyle Busch or, or Kyle Larson or something like that. Are, are there a lot of collectors going after the same guy that's creating a market for it, uh, you know, a competitive market for it? But then the second part of that question, what about the lesser guys? You know, what about the... If you believe it, there's some for everybody. I've seen the, um, some, like, on big, big whales or whatever, they're chasing the big drivers and they'll yeah. pay for it. But I've seen other people who specialize in maybe some of these other guys and i was very surprised and some of those guys they'll actually so if it's like a one of five they'll try to get all five okay i saw somebody who had i think it was a kyle bush and he had all five of the kyle bush and i was like wow that's uh you know like have getting a the the plate wanting all four of the plates sure. and so that might be for the lower name or, or the high name and then lately there's been one gentleman on the some of the facebook stuff where he's chasing the inscriptions all right so press pass had inscriptions and he's just been going, uh, driving the price up, um, and, and some. And I think you had talked about it before. I listened to some of your podcasts. Sure. Um, you know, some people like hey, they hate that because this person's coming in. But you know, other people saying, "Hey, it's good for the sport. It's good for the market. Uh, that you know, there's it's being competitive instead right. of being you know a drag." Right. Do you feel the same? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Same way. Sure do. What about? I'm gonna sound horrible. Is there such thing as vintage NASCAR collecting? Yes. Yes. And you're probably looking at two of the biggest ones. So Logan's uh, sets for PSA are the older. Uh, me and him actually compete against each other okay. in some of those sets. So the first set was 1972 STP. It was created by Andy Granatelli of STP fame and Ray Mann who did the artwork. It's like 11 card set and Andy Granatelli gave it away uh, to the Speed Week and stuff in Daytona. So that was really the first set. The second set wasn't uh, released until 1983. It's a 1983 Uno set. It's got wow. Dale Hearn Seniors in it. And so like the early baseball, early, early football, they were giveaways. And this is the same with racing. It's just 80 years later. Right. And then so the first cards in packs and in um, 
uh, factory sets was 1988 Max, and that kind of set it off. And I think, Logan, you actually collect them then. Yeah, we went to uh, Talladega. I think it was the spring race in Talladega. And uh, we saw these uh, car, these 1988 Max cards in a, I think it was Bill Elliott's hauler. And we saw them, we were like, what the heck is this? We'd never seen anything like that. It was a factory set, so we bought it. I remember going home and my wife was sitting in the back seat with her mom and her dad was in front. And she's opening the box and she's telling me and showing me as we're driving down going <laughs> nice. home. Of course, we didn't have time during the race to look at them, but we did look at them after the race. So yeah, 88 was the very first year. And it was a madhouse rush, right, for stuff? Oh, people were going crazy over that stuff, man. Those cards hit and they, they couldn't print them fast enough. Wow. And there were some variations. There was a Myrtle Beach printing and Charlotte printing. And so uh, some cards were printed. And so they went kind of, I don't know if they rushed the market, but they, they, they were, had the first run and then they said, well, we want Richard Petty to be number 43. And so they stopped, pulled 43, and put Richard Petty to 43. Um, number 10, uh, Darrell Waltrip instead of Talladega Streaks. And then uh, Phil, Phil Parsons. Phil Parsons. They didn't mention his wife on the back. They, so, they said okay. he was engaged. Yeah, uh, and so but his wife was Marcia. So there's a thing. So there's a two prints. And so that, I'm sure that drove uh, demand um, because of the variations. And sure. they were high. So if you look before Beckett uh, got into racing, there was Collector's World and another company and I started, I looked at some of the old price guys. It was $800 for the old 1988 Myrtle Beach printing and the cover yeah. card, which was also a variation. So they originally had the set and you could send the cover card in for with $19.95 and get a factory set. And then they said, well, I guess they didn't add postage in them. So you can also find it with $21.95. Okay, wow. So that cover card with $19.95 and 100 Starburst, which came from the factory set, I think that was like $400 at the time. Holy smokes. So it was crazy prices. And then there was, so they couldn't get a license with Dale Earnhardt Sr. And so they pulled his cards. They never were released, but some of them kind of snuck out and they were going for like hundreds, thousands back in the day. Yes, they were going for quite a bit of money. And so, because Max never destroyed the cards, they just kind of, parked them to the side sure. and eventually they came to terms with him right. in 92 I think or they no really, 1989 is, was his oh 1998 right no um, 19 1994 because it was in the um, in one of the sets they had uh, oh yeah you tell me when they released the 88 Max of him yes yes it was the, the, 19, the, all, the first two authorized and it's got the gold number to 999 right yeah so so that's vintage you, you, I guess you yeah. were talking about vintage now you're talking about the 80s and that's typically known as the junk wax error for most of the, you know, the core sports, right? Is there a junk wax error for NASCAR? There is. Okay. Yes. Like, right. So, Max was producing these cars, and I guess they realized, well, if we make variations, people will go crazy They for did them. it on purpose. Oh, okay. And so, some of the sets have, uh, in 89, they only had one variation because those were printed on 12-card sheets, not 132 cards. So, one sheet was 12 cards, it was all the same guy. And so half the sheet, uh, I think it was Jeff Bodine, there was like a speck on it, and the other half didn't. So didn't really command stuff. But in 1990, I think they went to town on the variations. They did. And huh. they had different print runs. And then you could also join the Max Club, and they would sell those sets. And so people were thinking, hey, I'm going to put my kid through college. I'm going to get right. some of each. And so it was the same junk wax era yeah. okay. as in baseball. Yeah, Max had an exclusive, I think, for the first, what, Three or four years, something like that. Because ninety-one, because in nineteen ninety-one it opened up. You had ProSet, you had Tracks, you know, all those companies came in, came in with the cards, and they flooded it pretty much. So ProSet did NASCAR. ProSet did yeah. NASCAR. I did not and know that. And they had the hologram, yeah. which was was it, was it Earnhardt? 
Well, that was one of the years. I think that was 92. 91, okay. they had the Winston Cup trophy. That's what it was. So, like, they had the Stanley Cup trophy. Right, right, I right. did some hockey, too. Wow. And I mean, everybody was chasing those. Uh, right. And the Lombardi trophy. Right. I didn't. I did not know that NASCAR did pro set. I was, of course, it did NASCAR. Yeah. I, I was just thinking how great it would have been in the nineties to have a, an ugly pro set NASCAR set. But, it's out there. But evidently, it's out there. It's out there, man. Yeah, they, That's and they awesome. actually included the legends. I think there's a subset. They did. Uh, that had the legends as well. So, so, who was the first manufacturer to get it right? Was it was it Press Pass? Maybe. <laughs> well, the only reason I hesitate because tracks in 92 they came out um because i did baseball cards too and so 90 upper deck they had the Reggie jackson i think it was yeah. and then they had nolan ryan autographs sure and so in 92 tracks they had i don't know how many cards it was but they had autograph subset inserts in it into the wax and they had a dual dale earnhardt and richard petty card okay in pack so wow. no redemption none of that so wow. and you know that was kind of that was huge i'm sure it was huge and but then uh, was it Press Pass who did uh, the sheet metal and Press Pass started the, the fad or whatever you want to call it the market right? for memorabilia on card they, okay. they had race used tires right. on yes, the cards that's right the, uh, uh, the, the burning, burning rubber, rubber. burning yes. rubber yeah and then had uh, was it well, who did the M-Force with the sheet metal was it M-Force that did the sheet metal I'm nice, trying to remember who did that. But it was a nice little swatch of sheet metal, too. So, I, 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 Press Pass did do... I, I would, yeah, they were very innovative back in the day. Yeah. Back 25 years ago. They to another level, too. Well, speaking of Press Pass, you know, DJ was once there. Now he's over at Panini. Um, and I... He's never told me this, but I think the NASCAR license is kind of like his little special baby. He, does it, he wants to make sure that it's, that it's doing well. And I know you spoke to it earlier about the current market of of, uh, of NASCAR collecting, but do you think Panini's doing a good job with NASCAR? I think they're doing a great job. I think they're doing a really good job. Yeah, I, I think the problem is 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 the sanctioning body of NASCAR. You know, they have a license, but NASCAR is very strict on what they let them do. Okay. I mean, like we were talking about, you know, like on a, a race broadcast, why don't they show cards? You know, for like a driver, here's his card, but. They will let them do it, things like so that. Major League Baseball and Tops have, I've seen an image that they had like the 86 Tops looking card with the current players, and mm -hmm. it was on ESPN and Major League Baseball. Sure. So, you know, NASCAR doesn't do this. So I don't know if the people don't understand that racing's out there, and sure. uh, they're not sure of maybe the rookies. There's, there's plenty of rookies coming up. You know, there's definitely a, a change of the guard from the older drivers to yes. the younger drivers. So there's an influx of young guys coming up that are going to be great. So. I've told this story on the podcast before, but I'll tell it again. Uh, Bubba Wallace is one of those rookies coming up, correct? Yeah, he's we great. Love, we love Bubba. Yeah. Bubba is great. So um, two years ago, at the opening of the uh, Texas Motor Speedway, their opening event, they had, a, they had a party at the House of Blues in Dallas, and I was lucky enough to get an invitation. So I go, and they're, they're, Bubba Wallace is there. Uh, Jamie McMurray's there, names like that, right? Right. So we're having a good time. Bubba is getting inter uh, interviewed on stage. He gets done and he walks off stage. I don't know where Bubba go. I don't know where Bubba's going. I went, oh, that's cool. I'm gonna get up and go to the restroom before the next interview starts. Walk into the restroom and there's Bubba Wallace handling his business. Right. I look Bubba Wallace in the eye. He looks me in the eye and I don't say anything, but I'm like. Don't worry, dude. I'm not that guy. I'm not. I'm not going to be that person, right? There was a nod of respect, 
and we we went on we went on about our way. After that brief moment of nod of respect, in came the next guy and went, "Oh my God, you're Bubba Wallace!" And hit him on the back while he's standing at the urinal. I'm like, I'm getting out of here immediately. There's no part of this that I want yeah, to Bub, be a part of. Bubba's a pretty stout fellow. I wouldn't want to mess yeah, with him. Yeah, I, I don't know how that ended for that gentleman, but. <laughs> It couldn't have been a positive thing. No. It could not have been no, a positive No, you just don't thing. do that. With that being said, I have one more NASCAR story that I want to share with you guys, and we'll wrap this up because they're getting ready to kick all of us out of here. <laughs> um, 2002, at the Richmond Speedway, I had just finished basic training, and I was going through AIT uh, at Fort Lee, Virginia. I knew zilch about NASCAR. And they wanted, it was the one-year anniversary of September 11th, so they wanted something patriotic. So they took the soldiers from Fort Lee to Richmond, marched us out on the field, and uh, we stood there for the national anthem and everything like that. That was, it was really cool. That's cool. It was it was really awesome. Um, every NASCAR driver that we met in the pit there was beyond grateful for what we were doing and who we were and what why we were there. They signed every autograph, took every picture. They did everything that they could to make us feel welcome and respected. And we were just young, 19, 20, 21 year old kids. And the same thing happened every time a NASCAR driver came on a USL tour to Iraq or Afghanistan, wherever we were, any NASCAR driver that came over, took every picture, signed every autograph, listened to every story. What I'm getting at here is NASCAR collectors, I think they have their guys that they collect for a reason. And if there's a reason that I'm going to collect a NASCAR guy, it's because I know that they respect us as fans. And I really appreciate what they did for me when I was 15 years ago. And I, I can see why and where NASCAR collecting is popular and where it's going to go in the future. And I, I really thank you guys for jumping on with me. Well, you're welcome. No problem. Awesome. They, 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 um, you know, I go to the Coke 600 over Memorial Day weekend, and they always have stuff for the troops. Uh, and the helicopters, the guys coming, rappelling in and, and out and stuff. Yeah. And they had actually, um, I don't know if it was Fallen Soldiers, their names on the cars. They did, they had the Fallen the Soldiers. Nice. So there's just a huge respect for our military uh, in NASCAR. Sure. Yes, so there it, is. It, 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 it was very patriotic and just, um, it's just amazing. So. Awesome. So. Awesome. All right, before we get out of here, if you guys are on social media, please tell my listeners where they can find you. They can follow you. You're starting a podcast soon, so... Uh, yeah, I'm working on that, but I have a, a blog, uh, NASCAR Radio, and uh, I'm on Twitter at NASCAR Radio. I also do, uh, like, a card of the day um, with the NASCAR in history and try to associate um, the win with uh, a card of that okay. uh, time frame or whatever. All right. And then, uh, so www.nascarradio.com and then racingcardinfo.com is another one. And I've got some of the old price guides and checklists and stuff like that where I'm trying to uh, put articles and stuff like how to spot a fake 1980, 1988 Max Dale Earnhardt so uh, people are educated and they don't get taken. Sure. Um, if it's not graded by Beckett or whoever. Right. So they can find one raw because uh, I hate for anybody to because there are some fakes out there, but there uh, are yeah and articles like that and uh, about the the Panini instant um, press runs and card numbers and stuff. So that sure. they can find me. All right, Logan. Yeah, I'm uh, at King NASCAR and uh, I, I just tweet about NASCAR yeah. stuff. I'm also an avid cyclist, so you'll might get some cycling stuff. So you awesome. never know. Awesome. All right, guys, go check them out. Uh, make sure you tell them the Fat Pack sent you. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Uh, this is my official third day here 
at the National. I got one more coming up tomorrow, but thanks for hanging out with me today. I really appreciate it. Until then, cue the Jericho. I'm out. Virus control, I'm still mobile clone. With accurate mic control, I explode and break bones. Son of none crossing enemy zones. Through headphones, I push info to mission control. It's stories to be told. Code, decode these remotes. Broke down, but this behold. The illness from CO. Deep through the keyhole to see this one light. Leeches lurking in the darkness, won't leave living tonight. Punchline for this fight, because they heads ain't fed right. How can you see my brother with no perspective of sight? Can't do good and live right. Kick snares and high hats, they be the get right. Here they get the blind sight. Why? Yeah, my